So I guess we should go ahead and get started. Um, Does somebody want to open us in prayer and just uh, remember the Veterans Day also? Veterans Day. Any volunteers? Oh, thanks, Ryan. Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing us all here today, that you uh, planned it for all these people to come from all over the world here, Lord. I pray that you prepare our hearts uh, for this long day, Lord. God, I pray that you'd help each one of us to be able to see past any um, baggage or anything blurring us from seeing you today, and I pray that you'd open our hearts to hear from you, Lord. I thank you that we live in a country that's defended by um, with such great power. Where we have such great freedoms, Lord. I just pray you bless those who are serving abroad right now. I pray you keep them safe. I pray that you um, draw them all near to you as well, Lord. Um, please be with us and uh, let us hear from you today. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Okay, so my topic this morning is what I wish I knew before I went to the mission field. And, I mean, honestly, this topic could fill a week long of talks, and I still won't answer the questions that you have. So I want to really stick to the format that they gave us and talk for maybe half the time, but then really let you guys ask me questions, and I could show you my ignorance for another half the time. <clears throat> so what I wish I knew before we went to the field. Um, let me just tell you a little bit about myself. Um, my wife and I are both family physicians, and um, we became doctors because we felt God calling us into cross-cultural ministry. We um, left our jobs in 2002. At that time, I was working on, as faculty, on a fa- and, sorry, faculty at a family practice program, and my wife was in uh, rehab. And uh, when we left for Asia, um, we had a two-year-old and a seven-month-old, and now our kids are 16 and 14, and we added one when we were gone, and she's eight. So while we were on the field, we were in Cambodia. Uh, we had lots of different hats. Uh, we did medical things. So we both, <clears throat> um, well, maybe the range was from working in the vi- at the village level, doing public health teaching through uh, teaching at hospitals. Um, we were involved as church planters uh, in Simreet province, which is in the northwest part of Cambodia. And I also helped support the missionary team there through leadership, um, the OMF missionary team. So when we arrived in Cambodia uh, in 2003, we were overwhelmed. I mean, everything was brand new. There was tons of things that we thought we needed to learn right away. So much to take in. And part of that settling in process was our language and acculturation. So we were assigned teachers, and um, my teacher's name was Ta, and Ta would go through each morning, and he'd do some language um, language instruction for me, but then also try to bring up something about Cambodian culture that he felt I needed to know. So one morning he said, hey, you know, you may have noticed these red strings that people tie on the wrist, they tie on other things, and he said, that's a Cambodian symbol of protection. So people tie it on all sorts of things uh, as protection. And I said, really? I've seen a couple, but it makes it sound like they're everywhere. And he said, they're they're everywhere. Just look for them. So I went out that day after my language class, and it was like I walked into a new world because I saw all these red strings everywhere. You know, they were on the trees, on people's, I mean, more than on people's wrists, but on trees, it was on the doorknob, on the motorcycle, on... Um, you know, the side of the car. I mean, everywhere you could imagine, there are these little red strings. And um, I just say that as an introduction to something that I like to call the red string principle. And that's if you name something, like my language teacher Tad did, then you'll be able to see it, like those little red strings. And you'll be able to understand it. Those strings had new significance to me. They had new meaning to me. And you'll be able to engage with it. You know, what do I think about those strings? You know, what will I say if somebody offers to tie a string on me? And you could formulate how you're going to respond. And in that way, you have a little bit more control. So nothing I'm going to share with you this morning is new. I mean, it's all there. It's all been there forever. But I hope by putting a name on things that 
it's going to draw your attention to it, and you'll see what's happening, and you'll understand it a little bit better. And most importantly, you'll be able to respond to it in a more thoughtful and more godly way when it presents itself. Understand what's going on. So we arrived in Cambodia very excited. And you know excitement is just another word for stress, right? So this caption could be Christmas or it could be a shot. (laughs) You know, we, we just assign different connotations or different meanings to the same to the same feelings that we might have and with these new experiences came a lot of new things to think about so I remember we'd sit down at the table in our um, in our mission home with other missionaries and all these different topics would come up and then the missionaries would ask how we'd weigh into things or they'd they'd give us their advice, suggestions on how we should weigh into these things. So they were topics like, should we take tons of time to learn the language, or should we just use a translator? Should we provide food and resources to people in need, or should we really protect uh, a community's sustainability? Should we use short-term teams, or should we try to keep ministry for the national believers? Should we pay pastors, or have bivocational pastors? Should our emphasis be on evangelism? I think you guys are might be uh, recognizing a lot of these themes. You know, should we emphasize evangelism or discipleship? What's more important, development work or church planting? Um, Do we want to seek indigenous-style churches, or is a Western model okay? And we felt like we needed to make up our minds on where we sat on these issues. And, you know, sometimes it came from experiences that we had in, in the States or Um, you know, a book that we may have read. But a lot of times it was the position that we felt our organization that had a lot of experience, a lot of history in Cambodia had taken. But regardless, we felt there was a a right way for ministry and a wrong way for ministry. And we built this line. We drew this line, and there were others on the other side of our fence. And it made us feel a little smart, Um, a little more sorted out, but it definitely gave us a sense of control, um, which helped to reduce that stress. We were learning a lot. We had experienced leadership. We were excited, or we were stressed. (laughs) And that stress played played itself out in a lot of different ways. Um, And one of those ways is it it polarized us. Um, Just like taking sides on those issues, we, we start to see things as really good or really bad. And that polarization fortunately led to conflict. Um, and it might have not been outright fisticuffs with people, but just the sense of separation that we had between us as husband and wife, you know, between us and our children, um, between certainly us and the leadership, and so much so that the dog left. No, the dog didn't leave. <laughs> but, but it was very stressful. Um, and uh, this was my son when he was two. <laughs> and we were talking with another missionary and just sharing how we were feeling. <clears throat> and he said, you know, that's the enemy's strategy. Um, Christ unites and Satan divides. And he divides us when we judge um, our way of ministry as better than another's, um, when we allow small things in our life to consume us, small issues, when we grow bitter to other people, towards other people, just when we allow our sinful nature to control us. So Satan divides, but Christ unites. And uniting means valuing others the way that Christ does. You know, we're not all supposed to be the same. We would never say, everybody needs to be a doctor, because that would be such an unfun world. But neither does Christ say that we all need to be just exactly the same. I mean, he's made us different. He's given us different gifts, different callings, different passions for a reason. Um, So that we can do very different things within the same body of Christ, very different things for his kingdom. 
but we have to remember that we're still serving the same Lord. We're still working for that same kingdom. Ephesians 2 says, Always be humble and gentle. Patiently put up with each other and love each other. Try your best to let God's spirit keep your hearts united. Do this by living at peace. So when you feel that judgment and that division, you say, Satan, I'm not going to let you win. You pray that God's going to give you this heart of genuine love and respect for other people. Allow others to follow the calling that they feel God's given them. Just be a unifying force for God's kingdom. What I wanted to do was just, after I introduced each topic, just to give you guys a little chance to respond. So if you have a piece of paper, just um, take it out and just jot down a couple thoughts, a a little bit of a response to, um, to this idea. So when you're hot and you're tired and people are pushing all the wrong buttons and you're just ready to go home, what are you going to say to yourself? What are you going to say to yourself to help you live in that peace that God wants you to live in? So let me just take, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute, and just let you guys write write a couple things down. topic is know yourself. And it sounds like it's right out of of a self-help book, right? So try this one on. Are you more inspired by the journey or the destination? (laughs) It took me a while to realize that there's basically two types of people in this world. There's journey people and there's destination people. So in the simplest terms, it takes journey people like two weeks to get across the country. You know, they see and they experience and they make new friends and they laugh and they cry, right? But destination people, it takes 30 hours and 23 minutes without traffic. Journey and destination, right? And church planting is your idea to keep, keep your church planting simple and sustainable and nationally led? Or do you picture a body of Christ influencing their community, um, you know, uh, believers reaching out into their community. It's the, it's the journey and the destination. For us, we spent a majority of our first year in language study. And I wanted to know what came after language study. I wanted to know where we were going to land after that. But I was told that that's not important. You know, I need to see the value of what I was doing and not be distracted by the possibilities of the future. But I realized I'm a destination person, and that approach just didn't work for me. Maybe another way you could say this is ask if you're a values-driven person or a vision-driven person. So do you see the values embraced in the process as your motivation for what you're doing? Or is it the end result, what you hope to achieve, the picture that you have in your head, um, a vision realized? That's really your true motivation. And as you work with and lead others, I mean, this could be a huge source of unity where you guys are excited and you're working together, or it could be a source of division. Um, You have to understand where you are, and you have to understand where the people that you're working with are. I just want to give you another example. This is the organization uh, I'm with, OMF, and this was our Cambodia 
vision and values statement. So our vision statement is, by God's grace, we see communities of disciples who are following Christ in every aspect of life and multiplying throughout Cambodia and beyond. And our values statement is, or our values are trust in God, reach the unreached, value discipleship, practice incarnational ministry, partner in ministry, and lead from the ministry context. So you could see how very different those two things are, right? And you could see that somebody who's vision-driven is going to become incredibly frustrated by the seeming lack of focus of values people because the values people are living in the now and the vision people are living for the future. And the values-driven missionary might feel that the vision-driven colleague is maybe a little too pragmatic and maybe even compromises at times. And I'm not saying that one's better than the other, but they're very different. And it's a very different way of of viewing things, a very different way of going about ministry. And if we could recognize that difference, I think we could all work together a lot better. I find that people hold very strongly to their positions. And I believe it's because this is where we get our significance. It's what makes us feel successful. It makes us feel like we're accomplishing what we're we're there to accomplish. So do you gain your significance by being a certain type of person, you know, upholding those values that you have? Or do you need to be accomplishing something, seeing that vision fulfilled? Am I here on the field in obedience? You know, have I come to become more like Jesus? Or am I trying to meet some very tangible needs that I see? And those are very, very different things. So you need to understand yourself. You need to know who you are. You need to understand what you need in order to survive on the field. Um, What's going to give you that significance? What's going to give you that energy and that passion uh, that brought you to the field in the first place. So um, I want you to just jot down a couple things again. What are you going to the mission field for? You know, what's going to give you that significance once you're there? Do you have a vision of what you want to do, how things are going to play themselves out, what's going to happen? Or are there core values that you really want to live out and that you feel you have to live out in order to be satisfied? Okay, the third, the third topic that I chose is maintain perspective. <clears throat> Two men went up to the church to pray. One a missionary. I have to say this is probably the most significant thing that I learned. Sorry. Two men went up to the church to pray. One a missionary and the other a a really bad guy. The missionary standing by himself prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like others, caught up in their worldliness and using their gifts for themselves. 
I value what you value. I mean, I gave up a suburban life for you. But the really bad guy, standing far off, wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Sorry. And I think what I realized in Cambodia is that I was that missionary. I was that Pharisee. And strangely enough, it was in Cambodia that I realized really how much I need God and how much he's saved me, what he's done for me. I had our prayer cards for people's refrigerators and our glossy brochures for them to keep in their Bibles. And I sort of expected to be taken out to lunch when we spoke at a church and for people to remember what country we were going to or what country we were already in. I felt, you know, I was committed beyond others. And that made me think I was special. And then that sense of entitlement sneaks in. So maybe I should be treated a little bit differently than others. And maybe a little bit different by God. Seven years ago, I was sitting in an ICU in Thailand. And you know what that's like. You know the sounds and the smells of the ICU is the same all around this world. But I wasn't there as a a doctor, but rather as a friend. And I was sitting at the bed of our friends, our colleagues, um, our fellow missionaries, a 17-year-old son. Three weeks earlier, he had presented with altered level of consciousness. Um, It was his first episode of diabetic ketoacidosis. And we were able to evacuate him from rural Cambodia uh, into Thailand. And for the next three weeks, I've never prayed for anything so much in my life. I mean, there are literally people around the world, hundreds of people, lifting up countless prayers and petitions, people that were fasting for this young man. And we believed that God would heal him. You know, we had faith. We put our trust in God. We assured ourselves that he's going to do it. But, you know, in the end, this young man died. And it it sent shockwaves through our team in Cambodia. God, they're missionaries. You know, they've given up everything to serve you. They're faithful. We prayed so much. We prayed with so much faith. What do you believe? You know, what does God promise us? What has he told us and what do we assume? Do we think we're special? That God's going to take extra special care of us? I mean, we are special, but it's not in that pop star, entitled type of way. We're sinners, the same as everybody else, the same as that really bad guy, and we're saved by God's amazing grace. And this is the greatest promise he gives any of us. Lo, I am with you always. So I want you to jot down what are assumptions that you're making about God and about the way that he works. What do you think is going to happen in life, in ministry? And ultimately, where are you putting your hope?
so those are the, the three topics I just want to use to, to introduce our time. Um, so understand what's going on. You know, it's a spiritual battle. Um, Satan couldn't get you from getting to the mission field, but he could certainly make you go back, uh, come back. Uh, know yourself. You know, are you values-driven or vision-driven? And what do you need to stay on the field? What's going to keep you there and give you the, the satisfaction, the significance that you need? And then maintaining perspective. Yes, we're special in God's eyes, um, but we're just like everybody else. So I want to open it up to questions. Um, Hopefully it just sparks a little bit of um, um, ideas or questions in your mind. Any any questions offhand? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so ways that I can guard my time, um, protect that time with the Lord. I'm a, I'm a vision-driven person, and I think vision-driven people have a hard time valuing that. And my, um, and my um, leader on the field would always say, do I have a time set aside for the Lord, you know, a half a day just to sit and reflect and refresh? And he told me, he asked me that for as long as he's my, my leader, six years or something like that. And I struggled with it, to be honest. It's, it's hard to do. And when you're trying to um, get something done, it's always that, that time that seems like the time that you can take away from, time to, to just be with God. Um, that said, um, the things that we value are the things that we're going to make time for, right? And the things that we value are the things that we take joy in. And um, and I needed to just discipline myself to, to spend time with God um, so that I would start to take joy in it. Um, and then I would value it. And then I would actually do it. It works. It's different for everybody. I, I, I wrote in a journal, and I tried to make sure that I wrote something every day. Um, but you just have to f- find that joy in spending time with God. And that's going to be different ways for different people. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so a question about value-driven versus vision-driven and where's the balance in that because there's good side, good things to both. Not to be polarized, <laughs> but I think that we all lean one way or the other, um, maybe to lesser degrees or maybe to greater degrees. Um, and I don't know. I'd have to sort of talk to more people about it and see. But, um, but because I think a lot of it is um, caught up in our identity and where we gain significance, I think some people just need to be accomplishing things, um, like me. You know, I, I think something like, um, you know, going and focusing on language and not really being able to do anything was was really difficult for me. Um, whereas other people really need to um, 
to live out those values because they feel that that's their calling, you know, to be a certain type of person. Um, and when we were working within church planting, um, our team members were values-driven people, and they really wanted things to be a certain way, done a certain way. And then if we didn't always do it that certain way, then we were compromising. Um, and I, I just recognized and I came to appreciate that we needed to do things um, that affirmed those values and that demonstrated those values. So um, I think the balance is found depending on who you're working with um, and just recognizing that in other people and really trying to give them what they need to live out that calling that they have. I don't know if that answered your, your question. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, how would I phrase that for the tape? Yeah. Is it? Um, well, I could say that there's pluses and minuses to both. So I think for me, as a well, I could say for a vision-driven person, it's very, um, it's very hard when I can't do things. Um, you know, I responded, we went to Cambodia because we thought there were specific needs on the field. And when we got there, those needs were no longer there, or those changed. And it, and it disoriented us for a little while um, because we were so, were so focused on the task. Um, whereas um, um, for a lot of um, my values-driven colleagues, we get bogged down. We didn't, there, there wasn't always a movement forward because they weren't necessarily looking forward. Um, and things may have gone slowly if there wasn't somebody who was sort of pushing them and helping them set goals there. So I think on the two extremes, that's, that's the um, strengths and weaknesses of, of the two. I don't know, have other people thought about, heard about values-driven versus vision-driven people? an excellent summary, just that the, the needs on the field are never ending, and there's an equal need for discipleship, and that we disciple people by sharing values. Um, that's, that's a great, a great summary. Um, yeah, and how do, you, how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, one of the things that... Um, that people talk about a lot is incarnational ministry. Um, you know, this idea of becoming as close as, as close as we can to the people that we're ministering to. And I think there's a lot of uh, value in that. But one thing is that we're never going to be like the people that we're ministering to for the fact that we're not them. We have access to things that they don't have access to. Um, like that young man that, that died in Cambodia, a helicopter came and picked him up and flew him to Thailand. And that's just not going to happen for really any Cambodian. Um, 
But what I came to realize is that incarnation means being accessible to people and walking alongside people and what you were saying, sharing those values, rubbing shoulders with people. Um, yeah, I, I just remember um, Dr. Thompson, who was in Manorm Hospital in central Thailand, he'd say that the people that were most impacted by their ministry um, weren't necessarily the patients that came in and out of the hospital, but it was the staff and the long-term people, the leprosy patients and the tuberculosis patients, that there was this transfer of values just from seeing people and developing that relationship and rubbing shoulders. And, um, yeah, that's what you're talking about. Um, and maybe that's an answer to that values and vision question also. You're, you're, if you're a vision-driven person, that needs to include discipleship and that needs to include this transfer of values. Yeah. Tell you about what you learned about the balance between healthcare, work, ministry, and family and all the different settings you were in. Yeah, so the balance between healthcare and ministry and family. Um, honestly, it went, it was different seasons and, you know, things went up and down. Sometimes I was just consumed with um, ministry and other things fell beside and sometimes it was medicine and other things fell beside. I think with family, um, one thing that people had recommended to me and we really held on to was developing family traditions. Um, and even to this day, we still, we've been back for about a year, and we still have these traditions that we started while we were in Cambodia. And um, things like, you know, eating pizza on Wednesdays. Um, we always went out and ate pizza on Wednesdays, and we've been doing that for many, many years now. Um, things just like, I mean, it sounds simple, but just having regular prayer time and devotions with your family. Um, that became a tradition. It's a habit that the kids have gotten into, and it's just its just part of life now. Um, so, um, yeah, at the beginning, it just seems like there's so many things to do, but it's good to, to just start to define what those traditions are going to be and, and start early. Yeah. You mentioned that list of issues that that early on in your time there, coming down on one side of the line or the other helped give a certain amount of control and was a stress reduction. Yeah. Did you find that over your time there that the line down that middle got a little bit more blurry? Yeah, so that line between the two extremes of things, whether it got blurried over the years... You know, at the beginning when I was still a fence person, a line person, I was on either, you know, one side of the fence and then I'd go to a, a seminar and I'd jump to the other side of the fence and, you know, it wasn't even blurried for maybe the first couple of years. But then, yeah, it got very blurried. And then I think, um, yeah, I, I began to realize that I'm glad people are called into for me, evangelism, because I don't really see myself as an evangelist, but I love discipleship. Um, and I began to just appreciate that. And, you know, you get much more excited about other people that are different from you when you just see them as not complimenting you and how they're different from you than, than more than the same. Yeah. There was a hand in the back there. Yeah. I appreciated the parallels that Yeah, so with the the tendency that we have towards pharisaicalism, you know, how do I guard guard from that? I think just having realized that, um, yeah, I remember when we first started talking about uh, getting to know the other church planters on our team this the last term. Um, 
we were just sharing what our favorite Bible verses or favorite Bible stories were. And that by far is my favorite because I think I had never seen myself that way before. And I just felt it was such a good picture um, that God gave me to just help me to be more effective for him and just to, to reconnect. Um, there's this idea of, um, um, I think it was called, the book was called The Discipline of Grace from Jerry Bridges that may have even talked about this, this idea at the beginning, but that a lot of times we, um, we see the cross as a point in our life, right? And we, we have our pre-Christ days and then we become a Christian, we receive grace at the cross, and then life is about uh, discipleship and this road of becoming more like Christ. And then there's this other view um, where the cross is central and we come to the cross every day and we um, just remember every day what God's done for us and the, and the grace that we receive, the forgiveness that we receive. And that was totally new to me, this idea, this idea of preaching the gospel to yourself every day. But that changed my life, um, just to be coming back to the cross like that. And it infused um, just new, a greater sense of uh, thankfulness, gratefulness, a new sense of, of God's grace in my life um, when, um, while we were in Cambodia. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. The greatest stress you felt on your marriage? The greatest stress I felt on my marriage in Cambodia? Um, To be honest, there's things that I feel like I could share and things that were greater stresses on my marriage that I just don't know if I'd want to share in public. But um, I think part of it is that that division, that division or polarization thing. You know, I think we go out in ministry and we're holding things in because we're trying to be good missionaries and we don't want to expose all of our cracks, which may or may not be a, a good thing or not. But unfortunately, a lot of times our families are the ones that um, that hear it, and it might not be um, it might not be directed towards your spouse. But I found that, like, I wanted my wife to feel the frustration that I felt, and I just wanted to transfer this very emotional package to her all the time. And I realized that's not fair to her. Um, you know, if it frustrated me, it got me all riled up. Why do I want to pass that on to my wife? Um, and it was very selfish of me to, to feel like I had to vent in that specific way to her. Um, you know, for me, to me, I feel that my wife is my single greatest ministry. And I need to um, help her to realize her potential in Christ every day. And the things that I say or the things that I do need to be in line with that vision that I have. And I can't, um, yeah, I can't willy-nilly just be, be, be saying things to her like that. Yeah. Uh, the greatest stress with children? Um yeah, maybe the same things. <laughs> um, yeah, I think for for our kids, um, where we were, the the biggest thing for them was friendships and feeling like they had things to do. Um, and I could just say that was the reason why we came home was 
our our kids just weren't they didn't have the support and the friends that we we just knew they needed so yeah it's hard it's easy to take on suffering yourself but it's hard to see your kids suffer and we prayed and god could have filled that in many different ways and he didn't so we felt that was a clear sign for us to come home for a season yeah yeah go ahead or did you have a question no yeah yeah some of the highlights of the different facets of your life and ministry over your years in, in Cambodia oh there's lots of facets um that were um highlights or facet um facets of ministry that we that were significant there was a ton um I remember in the first month that we were in Cambodia, one of the um, missionaries said, take time to get to know one or two young guys and disciple them. And they said, even before you learn the language, just, just take that time and develop that relationship. And that was fantastic advice. I'm still Facebook friends with those guys. Um, you know, 15 years later, I could see where the Lord's taken them. And um, uh, that's just, it's treasure. Um, I'd say in all these cases where we've just seen the church grow, we, um, we, okay. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Ten minutes. Um, yeah, where we've seen, seen the church grow. I, I remember when we went to Cambodia, uh, for the first time, we were praying that God would raise up Cambodian theologians and evangelists and uh, musicians, authors. And when we left Cambodia, all of those things happened. There was a Christian publishing house that was training Cambodian authors and theologians to write books by Cambodians for Cambodians. Um, incredible evangelists, a whole thriving Christian music scene. Um, that's exciting. I mean, that was exciting to see, just that deepening of the, of the church while we were there. Yeah. Yeah, other, other questions? Yeah. Yeah, so ways to, to exhibit cultural humility while we're, while we're there. I think the biggest thing is to ask lots of questions and be willing to learn. I, I know that sounds really basic, um, but maybe sometimes we ask questions about, like, what's happening on the surface? Um, you know, tell me what that food is or how you say this, but we don't ask questions about meaning. And I think meaning... Meaning and significance, I think those are, that's what we really need to know. You know, why do you do things that way? Is there some specific meaning to it, some specific value that that exhibits? Um, and in healthcare, you know, we, we assume that everything's the same, or we think that it should be the same as, as healthcare in, in America, but it's incredibly different. And you run into things where you just have no idea why that just happened or why that person said what they did. And you just need to take the time to ask. Um, and you might still not agree with what they, what they uh, mention, but, um, but it's that, that, learning, that learning attitude. Maybe I'll give you an example of this just to... Um, so uh, Cambodian is a Buddhist country, um, and uh, we, for example, in the hospital, a lot of times, um, well, I'll give you a specific example. So there's this girl who had rheumatic heart disease. She was in um, end-stage heart failure um, in the ICU, and the cardiologist, Cambodian, came in, and the parents said, hey, you know, um, 
what's going on? And the cardiologist said, um, she'll be fine. She'll go home. You'll have grandkids. Um, she just needs a heart transplant. And the heart transplant um, is something that she can get um, in another country, so it costs some money. But she'll be okay if she gets that heart transplant. And I was just flabbergasted. <laughs> and I pulled him aside and I said, why did you say that? And um, because the family had sadly gone off and they went to plant some vegetables so they could raise money for this heart transplant. And this girl died without her family around. And, um, you know, I said, why, why did you say that? And he said, because we're Buddhist and Buddhists don't create suffering. We, our goal is to minimize suffering. I don't want to minimize, I don't want to create suffering in that family's life. There's no hope anyway. It doesn't matter what I said. Um, I can't jump in and say, wait a second, guys, she's going to die. You've got to stay here. Um, maybe I could have. I don't, you know, but um, that's the type of thing, this um, clash in, in culture. And, and I found out just by asking him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would they understand? I think they would. I think they would. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And they want to have that hope. Yeah. Yeah. Any other? Any other questions offhand? Okay, well, um, here's my email. Feel free to email me if you have questions. Um, if you want to um, yeah, run things past me or uh, want to hear more about some of our experiences or just want to say hi, <laughs> feel free to do that. Thanks so much. Thanks for your attention and I trust that God can use a little bit of what was said just to um, get you to think deeper and to know him deeper. Thanks.